Welcome to Onward, the show where we explore emerging social innovations and chat with social innovators. I'm your host, Daniel Weinsberg. Great workplaces inspire hope. They foment change and they're the fertile grounds for creative thinking. Great workplaces and organizations are too far and few between, and it's well past time that we change that. Your time is too valuable, and our time is moving too fast to stay stuck in less than effective patterns of collaboration. As strange as this may sound, humankind has really never been better equipped, positioned, or prepared to tackle the challenges we face, and we face many. A majority of the challenges we face are new breed. We've talked about this before on the show. These are problems of abundance. For decades... Our ancestors faced problems of scarcity, not enough food, not enough medicine, not enough jobs, not enough connection, not enough tools, not enough access, and so it went. And then something shifted. While there's much to decry about the Industrial Revolution, there's also much to celebrate. Sure, we're now too connected to technology, too wasteful of our resources, too gluttonous, and simply put, too much. As we start this next decade, societies around the world seem to be at an inflection point, and new solutions are needed to the new challenges we face. Old tools, old tricks are no longer sufficient. This is why I am so excited to be in conversation with the folks at Inspiral. Inspiral is a network of people working on stuff that matters with the mission to support people to do the same. In other words, the Inspiral Network is helping people, teams, and organizations get their important work done differently, more humane, more collaborative, and more sustainable. Without further ado, let's go to the conversation with one of the Inspiral Network's catalysts, John. John, thank you so much for joining me today from the other side of the world. Um, before we really jump into the, the meat of things, can you tell us what exactly Inspiral is and what your role is there? Yeah, absolutely. And my pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show, Daniel. So what is Inspiral? This is a question that actually would often come up at our yearly retreat and still does, uh, although it's less of a hot topic uh, and also less of a, oh, this conversation again kind of topic uh, than it has been. Um, So, you know, each, we're a network of organizations and individuals called together around a common purpose that we name as more people working on stuff that matters. Uh, But there's a lot in that purpose and around that purpose and also around our values that is a bit murkier and also subjective um, and is just in the way that uh, we show up with one another. Um, so everybody has their own definition of what is Inspiral. For me, it's a entrepreneurial cooperative that does work that is more collaborative and less hierarchical, uh, that values autonomy and transparency and 
as we were talking, as we were just getting to meet each other before we started recording, that um, kind of idea of culture comes before technologies. Uh, and even as we, a lot of us are developing different social technologies, we might say, um, both actual digital technologies and tools, uh, but as well, um, practices and, and patterns that we use within our organizations and groups. Um, I really appreciated you saying like, do we build the tool or the tool kind of builds us or reminds me of like the house builds you. Um, and so I think that's um, something that comes to mind for me of like, what is Inspiro? Well, we're a community of practice around um, these new ways and ancient ways really ways that have been around a while of being together so that we can better work together, better live together, better be and do together. Um, we are a, a commons laboratory um, developing sometimes literal assets and sometimes that leaves more social technologies um, for the commons, open sourcing a lot of what we do so that others can copy, improve it, and share it again. And um, and we're also a community, uh, uh, almost uh, in the age-old tradition of mutual aid societies. We come together to support one another as we try to have meaningful livelihoods uh, that support us and the people around us. So I, I know you've got a title there. Um, and so before I ask what, what your title is, what your role is, how does the role work in a flat, community-based commons organization? Yeah, so I might tell just a little short story of the evolution of Inspire that might help people come into this. Inspire started as a freelancers cooperative and over time grew to be quite a big freelancers cooperative and at a certain point there was also a co-working space that people were running that was involved in that business as well. And at that time, there was starting to emerge this, this challenge of, uh, there's not quite the one or two or whatever number of people who are like really energetic to like lead these, this freelancer cooperative as well as this co-working space. They're kind of two stories, but uh, they looked very similar and they happened in a similar time period. And so one of the things that happened with um, both of them is that, oh, okay, well, maybe we just need to name a, a support crew. Um, like we didn't believe in, in naming bosses or managers. So we were like, well, maybe we can name a team of kind of people who are going to serve the whole. And that was kind of the earliest prototype of the role that I sit in now, which is called Catalyst. And there was a number of, of flaws in that design and also, again, just a lack of like a vision for the space and a, a lack of, um, yeah, a really driving force behind making the freelancer cooperative work. So at a certain point, we moved to, okay, this big tent where we have all these different freelancers inside, it's getting really hard to hold up this big tent. So let's instead uh, create a bunch of smaller businesses and we can work across those businesses, support one another um, and deliver projects together um, through things like service level agreements or 
it's a number of different ways that we talk about kind of our, our coalitioning work and our, our partnership work. But uh, suffice to say that the freelancer cooperative really transitioned into a network um, that was some years ago. And so with that, uh, we became a bit more distributed, a bit more decentralized, uh, but there was still that need for really fundamentally the kind of keeping of the balance, the, the holding of all the, the context. Um, and a lot of that, you know, a lot of Inspiral's work really comes down to the relationship, um, or as they say in Aotearoa, New Zealand, Whakavanangatanga, which is like the art, the practice, and really the principle of we are relationship. And so I think one thing that we have been learning over the years is, ah, yeah, we do need to name that some people are stepping up to this emotional labor of tending to these relationships, of keeping the context, of keeping things rolling. Um, and we like other, I think, um, social impact oriented organizations have had our struggle with burnouts in the past and things like that. Um, as well as, as uh, uh, unfair or unequal power distribution. Um, one, right, there's one of, formal authority and there's informal authority and both can yeah. be wielded for the better or worse. Yeah, absolutely. So one text that a lot of our uh, contributors and members have read is like the tyranny of structurelessness, um, that pamphlet from the feminist movement in the UK, which really talks to that. And so we found it really useful to create a role called a catalyst. And we've had several experiments of how exactly that works, especially in terms of like the resourcing, as well as who is elected to be or nominated or self-nominated or, or how does it work that someone becomes a catalyst. But basically from the start, it was this sense of, great, we want to name somebody who's doing some of that holding work that's caring for the container. Uh, we want to name that that person's not a sort of in the front of the group leading forward, but somebody who's servant leader or leading from behind or unleading we talked about it through a more indigenous lens, um, and that this role is to be rotated, that somebody shouldn't be in this role for more than two or three years, um, so that we are explicitly get sharing that power around, because naming the role, we actually for a long time had no roles, no positions at Inspiral. Um, it was much more define your own, make the agreements with your peers um, around what you're doing and, and what's the scope of, of your activities and how that interlinks with other people's. Um, and but this yeah. would just be more along the lines of like informal contracting, nothing written down. This would be you and I make an agreement, I'm going to deliver X by Y. Well, so Inspiral came from both a bunch of activists and facilitators, as well as a bunch of technologists, developers, some designers. And so actually we do have a lot of people who love the written word and love documentation, which I think is one of the strengths that has um, made us what we are today. So I would say there was, there was often memorandums of understanding, but less formal than maybe like, so contractual or transactional sort of things. But um but yeah, so basically right now where we stand is the catalyst is a role where we, you know, do our best work when we're actually unseen 
and other people are just enabled to do the work that they want to do. Sometimes we relate it to being a, a theater attendant where either people who join the network or come back after a time away, so we can kind of show them where the action's happening, guide them to their seat that they might want to see. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of work around trying to um, preserve, maintain, and foster the sort of institutional knowledge um, with working with a bunch of entrepreneurs and freelancers as we do. Uh, we see a good amount of turnover. So um, as people have energy to, to um, volunteer and as we grow, get paid doing gigs with maintaining the network's infrastructure, um, it's really important that we, yeah, have some kind of staff people who can help maintain that knowledge and transition that from as people step up into more leaderful postures in the network. And so given the distributed nature of the, the network, how do you, you're, how are you guys supporting peers across the network, like connecting meaningfully? Because I know, I understand work to be two part. You've got the relationships and the tasks mm. and you got to tend to both to meet whatever objectives you have. So how, how are you tending to the relationship given so much of the connection is happening in this distributed fashion? Yeah. So I think one of the things that is really critical for our network to function is retreats. So we've made a practice of annual retreats. We've just had our, I believe it was our 16th, and um, we do it at least once a year, uh, typically, more typically two times a year, one that's bigger and that actually we invite the public to come. We actually call that summer fest and in that sort of more open nature. Uh, that's usually with a, a members retreat as well um, within similar time span. Uh, and then we'll often have a winter retreat that's a bit more intimate. And so that's and one of the- How many members are part of the, the membership network? Yeah, so we're over, um, haven't checked the number super recently, but over 130 contributors and members are the shareholders of our network. Um, they're people who have been around longer and have uh, stepped up to the commitment to be kind of the, the guardians or the kaitiaki of the relationships and the culture. So members have the power to invite people into the network um, as well as to agree on new members. Um, so those are about 20, We've just actually membership for folks. So I'm also unclear on this number, we're, but we're close to coming close to 30 members of that uh, wider network that's across the globe, especially in New Zealand, Europe, a little bit in the United States, uh, Asia, and a little bit in South America um, of 130, 140 contributors. And so you all come together twice a year. You've got the winter retreat and summer fest. What is Summerfest like? Summerfest is, ooh, say it in a few words, how to. Um, it's magical. It's, um, uh, so, you know, we're here in New Zealand and we're blessed with some gorgeous environments. So like this year, 
as many years we're in just like a, a gorgeous valley that's really lush with a lot of greenery so um, a really high quality of space to come together and connect and it's a mixture of um, coming together as a whole group and and there's some yeah sort of I guess rituals that we've developed over the years and also learned from people here uh, to kind of structure that space but a lot of it is creating our own adventure uh, so we use open space technology or kind of run an unconference effectively um, with a couple of key moments throughout where we will bring the whole group together put on other programming one one of which which maybe gives a little bit of a sense of our network or two of which actually I'll compare and contrast we'll sometimes do lightning talks um, so give small speeches or this time we actually did it in a little bit more of a a more relaxed way I suppose and, and called kind of illustrated in spirals history over a river and so had some storytelling of people as they walked along this river that we modeled with the different years that we've been in existence almost 10 years now um, and then contrast that to uh, we'll do a whole group uh, story circle where anyone is invited to uh, as their heart moves them to share what they need to share with the collective. And this, this moment is one that's quite regularly part of our retreat design. Actually, I've never been to a retreat that hasn't had a story circle and is, um, yeah, really a chance to weave those deeper bonds and uh, practice vulnerability and, yeah, share what needs to be said and get into some deeper sharing with one another. Um, but yeah, and we have the dance party and we have like a bunch of whiteboarding with ideas on how to grow our businesses and and take over markets and, or transform markets, I should say. And um, yeah, all, all of the above. Lots of brainstorming and scheming and heart to hearts. This sounds like entrepreneurial summer camp. Uh, yeah, that's a good description. <laughs> When is it? I want to go. Ah, uh, yeah, be invited. It'll be probably around February time in 2021. We just had had the most recent one here. So, are there some foundational tools or tricks that informs both the internal operations of the Inspiral Network, but also the products and services that you're bringing to market? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a number of of ways of looking at the work, ways of looking at what we're doing, um, as well as like kind of qualities that we look for in like successful teams and like, and what kind of working condition is necessary for like a collaboration or a project to move forward really well, um, as well as more concrete things that we're doing to make that happen. Um, so one thing that um, has emerged as a way of sharing that knowledge with one another and naming what's working is the idea of pods. It kind of looks like a worker co-op, but without so many, like, it needs to be this legal shape necessarily. Um, so it's a bit more of a social contract rather than a legal contract to step into, like, a livelihood pod. Fast forward to today, we've named pods as a way of, again, engaging people across the network. This was gonna be another part of my answer alongside retreats. 
and pods for us is groups from three to eight. This is a loose number we're experimenting with that meets regularly around a shared intention. And so we've just named that because we've seen that these kinds of groups uh, all tend to benefit from some similar things, starting with that shared intention. If you can name a shared purpose, you're already much further along uh, than if you can't as a small group in terms of cohesion and being able to work together or having a good time, period. Um, and so there's an like- important part of the work. Yeah, the yeah, play. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so like some of the things that we've been naming for pods, which are not necessarily the companies that like we find companies are setting longer term commitments and there's maybe some different principles that apply to them. But like setting a horizon, actually, or setting a date at which we're going to do a retrospective and see if people are going to continue onwards. Uh, this is a practice that we recommend. We even use it for our members, actually, our shareholders. Every six months, we check in. Hey, are you still in? Um, do you want to go on hiatus? Or is membership still right for you? Um, and so that's one. Um, getting to a more just like very micro practice that's like talked about a lot, I think, when Inspiral goes on the air. Check-ins. A chance when you start a meeting for people to share what's on top for them, anything they need to get present, um, and really just enough time and space that people can share what they need to share um, at the beginning and, and possibly the ending of the, the meeting as well. Just some of these human, making sure that we're honoring, um, yeah, people being able to bring their whole selves to the situation, um, social capital and, uh, the, and developing our human skills. Um, within this work. Um, yeah, I think the other thing going back to more like some structural stuff that that we've worked out along the way, as well as stuff that keeps us connected. Uh, we had a pattern of stewarding, which is like a commitment that we started within the member circle. So we had like 20, 24 folks who agreed like, I will steward the person here and somebody else is going to steward me and we made like a big circle of one-to-one -one check-ins that would happen maybe on a monthly basis or something like this for our context given that we have a lot of different projects and entrepreneurs we actually found those relationships to be quite fragile and when we expanded that out to the whole network uh didn't work as well as we'd hoped so we were like oh, okay like these one-to-one -one relationships either have to be very carefully matchmaked, which we don't have capacity to do, uh, or a lot of them are going to fizzle out, which is why we moved to this uh, pods model and inviting people to get into small groups on a regular basis. We're making calls. Hey, we're going to form up into pods, so let us know if you want to join one or if you want to initiate one or at least organize the first call for one um, and maybe name an intention that's interesting to you. So that's one of the technologies we're actually prototyping over these last two years to kind of help with that. So they, they look like everything from peer coaching circles or peer coaching to book clubs to people taking an online course together. Um, they take a lot of different shapes. Uh, and similar, go ahead. I was gonna ask, what, what would be an example of a pod that has coalesced around a project? Like what would that project be? 
Yeah, so uh, I've been part of a pod. So we're actually a, what we would call a working group. So within, there's some different principles that apply, but with, uh, with we found it useful to say like even the working groups are pods basically. So working groups are the ways that we've managed as a network to distribute work into specific containers, much as working groups, committees, task forces work in any organization, eh? But um, that's like, so actually the people who organize these calls for people to say, I want to join a pod or call a pod, we're part of a, a pod ourselves. Um, so we're a crew that does that work. Um, part of the retreat, the Summerfest crew was also um, a pod in its way, although time bound and a little bit different in terms of commitment. Um, but yeah, I mean, even even pods that I've been a part of that were more about like personal and professional development, we've toyed with the idea of taking on a project of like um, writing our learnings together or sharing out like little posts and things like this, um, documenting what um, our formats have been or like helping to prototype, here's how we run this process that's been really helpful for us. Uh, so some things like that uh, emerge from some of these. And John, why, why are you so passionate about this, about re-envisioning how, how work gets done, how communities engage one another? I think there's a, probably a number of reasons, but like my rational mind would point you to the story of like, I was in 2011 living in Madison, Wisconsin, and just starting my first year of university, and I was had joined a student labor solidarity collective. So we were doing some kind of coalition building work and supporting our cafeteria workers to get rights on the job and things. And so I was just getting my feet wet of like, oh, what does it look like to help out, I guess, <laughs> in, a, in a, a deliberate way when one of the biggest social movements that Wisconsin's seen in the last hundred years or so broke out. It was called the Wisconsin Uprising. It was um, just after the Arab Spring and the austerity protests in Greece and just before Occupy Wall Street broke out. But really part of that, I almost call it a feeder movement to Occupy Wall Street. A lot of this similar tactics around assemblies and using information communication technologies, using Twitter um, and distributed organizing happened. And I had a really powerful moment of seeing, well, I should say, it was like great time to be in Wisconsin and an awful time to be in Wisconsin. I had family friends who had to like mortgage their home and go back to, to renting an apartment because they were a teacher and they were basically cutting a lot of rights. And um, yeah, they were really making life harder for a lot of public workers and weakening the, the public unions. And so, yeah, it was harsh and it actually affected my family directly. My family ended up having to like leave its support network, move out of state, um, got caught with a house on the market and went bankrupt. Um, but at the same time, I was part of this movement and we uh, ended up occupying our state house, the center of power for Wisconsin and stopping business as usual for 17 days 
And you guys made national news with that. I remember this. Yeah, national and and international. Um, more international than national, as um, you know, the big news companies tend to do in the states. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really amazing because there was coalition building and like organizing happening across socioeconomic barriers of all kinds, race, class, gender, like super diverse, and just like a very clear modeling of an another way is possible. We had set up our own mail service. We had our own uh, healthcare unit in the capital. We had like a news station basically that we set up there. We had our own IT department that we set up on the second floor. Um, and we were governing like what was happening there. We were coming together several times a day and making decisions about how we were going to move forward in a way that really seemed to be accessing our collective intelligence and was more joyful and just like so much felt so much healthier than the alternative so i had this big vision and then i also had this moment of like oh the financial academy doesn't have my back and uh but the relationships i built there actually helped me find a job and then find a way to stay in school because I was going to drop out at that point because to help out my family in any way I could. Um, and so it was this really clear message of the economy doesn't have your back, but social like relationships do. The social safety net is the thing you got to go and build. And so that's, I guess, what I see this work as is building that social safety net, connecting up making our own economy so that we're resilient and able to uh, thrive in the face of some pretty archaic and like dominating oppressive systems that like have come with us to this moment that we're all struggling with. Um, yeah, and in the light of, of uncertainty and about where this world's going in general, it's like we need all, all hands on deck and, and how do we do that in a, in a way that's not just repeating the patterns of the past that got us into some of these messes, or at least didn't capacitate us to deal with these in a healthy way in the first place. And so, so uh, Inspiral's been at this for over eight years at this point. What are some of the unexpected results that the network's produced along the way? Yeah, we recently had an impact report that had some really nice tangible points of what's happened that I don't think we were necessarily expecting. We managed to get some 25, 27 um, ventures and projects and companies on the line, have some conversations with them, and they reported back to us that 70% of them, their founders had met through Inspiral. And another 70% again had either found employees or collaborators through Inspiral activities. Um, another um, different but related thing that we've been noticing is like, uh, yeah, to be part of Inspiral and, and meaningfully participate, it's uh, there's an expression here of you bring one basket full and one basket empty. So there's this kind of sense of reciprocity um, and bringing your gift and, and also receiving and kind of being part of a bit of a, um, I don't know if gift culture is right, but like definitely a generosity culture. And the thing that we found in this impact report was that, ah, uh, yeah, a lot of these groups had given 
goods, services, time, oftentimes, as well as some financial contribution. In terms of goods and services, they had all received more than double that back. Um, and so just seeing on paper what that sort of generosity culture looks like was really surprising and interesting to me. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think the thing that's like, we've been learning is like, oh yeah, it takes a village to raise a kid and it also takes a village to raise a business that's like ethical and like has a social impact. Um, I think one thing that's like, another surprising thing, this is just shooting off in another direction is how slow it is to grow these things. Like, I feel like we're just now institutionalizing some stuff that's been working for us over the last eight, nine years. And yeah, I was just on a call before this one and we were just talking about, yeah, this stuff takes a really long time to grow, to build the, the foundations of trust and communication and relationship that lay the groundwork for what we're doing. Um, I think there's been times where the pace was like much faster and there was like expectation that we were gonna get somewhere more quickly. And I think what we've been surprised by and have been learning is that uh, a lot of the most important things that we're doing are like real slow burn builds. Um, and so that's kind of like, ah, okay, some of the stuff that's most important is the stuff that you can't just like race and do, but is like the stuff that we just keep returning to over the years uh, and slowly growing and cultivating. It reminds me of that uh, African proverb, if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go with somebody. Mm. So the importance of tending to those relationships for the sustainability the long-term impact, not these quick growth returns, how important that is. Yeah, and we and there's still a bit of startup culture around it, and we really embrace both that, um, those big pulses of energy that, that can come through the network in terms of people's visions and projects. One thing that's come out, actually, and this is, I think, attributed originally to some um, military institution, um, I have to say, but... Uh, we love it is uh go slow to go smooth go smooth to go fast um and that's something in terms of the relationship work that feels yeah because yeah we still we're still pretty lean and and do have to move quickly sometimes to but um but if we can keep that in mind of like what's really critical to keep the thing running in the long term and, and keep building that sustainability that's going to help I really love to hear about the work that you are all doing and the approach you're taking to it. And I, as I'm sitting here in this conversation, I'm trying to figure out how we can support listeners in trying to replicate or bring elements of this more humane, intentional work into their day-to-day -day lives, whether it's on the personal side or the professional side. So what are what's one thing, two things, top of mind that you think individuals can do to help whatever communities they're part of evolve to this place that Inspiral is hoping to drive towards? Hmm. I think there's something just about being part of groups of humans that have shared intention, uh, being in a pod. Um, I think like 
and and whether that's small or, or even a, a bigger but a circle of people where you can see the other people and be seen like where there's like a quality of listening and and learning together um i feel like that's a big part is like you probably don't just have one crew it's probably more than one but like finding some of those at least one crew that you can have some belonging with and and do some work with um or at least some yeah finding some shared understanding as we go um there's a lot uh that you can read about the practices of coming together into small groups and also like the theory of change behind that you can find these things in our handbook handbook.inspiral.com you can list read us uh writing about it on medium and spiral tales it's medium.com and flesh and spiral tales um as well as uh there's been some articles around microsolidarity, which speaks well to kind of this theory of change. Uh, it's one word, microsolidarity, um, that kind of speaks to what we've seen working at Inspiral and kind of this invitation to join small groups. And maybe these small groups find themselves in some bigger groups that can kind of help it move forward. There's a lot of individual practices um, in terms of building social and emotional skills, human skills. Um, and I think the one thing I can say is, yeah, be, be in conversation with folks um, and do, do, you know, come and read the things that we're sharing um, and, uh, and share what you're learning as well. Um, you know, putting out what you're learning as you're doing uh, work within your organization or whatever your context is. Uh, sharing it to, with your social networks and things like that. I think a lot of this is about um, experimentation and sharing, like, you know, role modeling what what needs to happen in these coming day, days. Um, and that's one thing that's really inspired inspired me about Inspiral. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> is the uh, the experimentation mixed with just sharing it out there, the tools that you've made available on the websites, the stories you've told about the different processes that you've run. Um, because, I, you know, we've, for the last few years, it seems like we've relied on technology to solve so many of our problems, yet we find ourselves facing the same challenges. Mm. And what, what really animates my work and drew me to your work was the, uh, the focus on the brilliance that is in the the humane brilliance, the human experience, and how can we leverage that and tap into that? Mm. So before we wrap up, um, I want to give you a chance. Any last words, calls to action? What can we do going forth to bring about this more humane future that we need? Yeah, we'd love to connect with you. Um, do follow us on Twitter, Medium, these places at Inspiral. Um, watch out for our uh, Summerfest that's coming up in 2021. You're invited. New Zealand's a beautiful place to not only take a vacation, but uh, yeah, move along the most meaningful work uh, or, or maybe find yourself closer on that path to figuring out what that is for you. Um, and yeah, I think that's just the bit broader invitation is just like, I think 
it's easy to get overwhelmed by all that's going on and all that we might feel that we're being called to do. Um, yeah, it's easy to feel powerless in these times. And I think that the the power of being in these small groups is you can start to feel that you do have the agency. And so I think the biggest invitation we have is like, look for that highest calling that you have. What is your gift to bring to bear in, in the community that you're in? And like, if you look around, there'll be people to support you on that. If you can name what that, that purpose is for you, um, that's gonna meet the needs of, of not just you, but maybe just the people around you, uh, maybe could spill out a little bit further. Um, yeah, people gravitate to that. And I think, um, yeah, also watching for people who make that call of like, I have a purpose and I need some people to step in to help me make this happen. Um, watching for those calls too. I mean, that's how I got involved in Inspiral actually. It was like, I was doing a project and um, doing a research project, got into conversation with one of the members and I had a need around how to better communicate, uh, how do we put time and assets and share resources in some way, put it in a, a common pot. Uh, and they had all these fancy designs about how to do that. I was like, whoa, okay, could I join up? And, and they welcomed me in. Uh, and then I heard a need from somebody in the community around developing a code of conduct. And I was like, oh yeah, I could help. Like I could follow along that energy and, and maybe contribute something. And yeah, and that's how I started building relationships with this community and it's been so meaningful for me. So yeah, look for your passion, see what you can learn about how to do it. And um, I think that's, that's the most meaningful thing we can do in this moment. How we have done things to get to this point is not sufficient to get us to the next iteration of planetary existence. I don't know about you, but I'm not that interested in living or dying on Mars. So we gotta find a better way to be, do, have on this awe-inspiring plane of existence. Like in Spiral, I'm dedicated to helping people connect with each other and their work in new ways. It's challenging, it's creative, and it's constantly evolving work. And I can't think of much that is more important to do right now. So go check out Inspiral, learn about their tools, their processes, and start rethinking how you and yours get your work done. To make sure we are spiraling upwards, we must keep an eye on not just what and where we work, but how. By approaching our work, our passions, and one another in novel ways, new solutions can be uncovered, new possibilities unleashed, and new patterns created. Thanks for tuning in to the Onward podcast. It's your support, it's your feedback, it's your comments, it's your suggestions that are really driving this show forth. So if you've got any comments, feedback, questions, suggestions, connections, you name it, feel free to get at me at dweinzveg at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Daniel Weinzweig, spelled the same way. If you're enjoying the show, give it a like on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Make a comment, share it with somebody you think could be inspired, turned on, informed by the conversations we have here. A little social engagement on this weird technology mainframe goes a long way. 
Before I go, I'd like to give a big shout out to my dear friend, Jay Lately. Jay Lately's music is the soundtrack to the Onward podcast. So if you dig the tunes that's behind the music, the, the intros, the transitions, that's all Jay Lately. Check him out on Spotify. He's been doing this work, following his heart, inspiring folks with his poetry, his words, and his passion for over 10 years. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, onward and upward. Thank you.